0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of My First Sketch. I'm Josh Hyam. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to the show, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, basically. But it would be really cool if you rate it five stars and leave a review wherever you get it. You can like the podcast on Facebook, facebook.com slash myfirstsketch. You can follow along on Twitter at myfirstsketch. Head to myfirstsketch.com. I'll be posting videos from today's episode. And over the next couple, next week or so, There'll be some blog posts about my time because I just went up to Toronto Sketchfest for the weekend. So there'll be photos and a little, like, you know, blog posts and some else. Maybe some other little fun bits there. Any questions, thoughts, recommendations, feel free to email me at josh at myfirstsketch.com. I'll get back to you in a timely fashion unless you're clearly spam because I've been getting some messages that are clearly spam. So the live submissions for Philly Sketchfest 2020 will close this week as i record and post this episode you have a little bit more than 48 hours to head to philly sketchfest.com to submit your live act for this year's festival there's still time to submit your sketch film there's still time to become a volunteer all that information is at philly sketchfest.com can't say that enough philly sketchfest.com and now here's a word from some of our friends
1: are you a fan of sketch comedy like monty python key and peel and saturday night live Have you ever wondered why their sketches are funny? Or maybe why that certain sketch didn't make you laugh? On the comedy podcast Sketch Nerds, we aim to answer those questions while having fun talking about the history and craft of sketch comedy. Every episode features a guest to help us break down our favorite sketches as well as those submitted by listeners like you.
0: So come nerd out with us and listen to Sketch Nerds at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketch nerds. Today's guest is Fred Chong Rutherford, currently a member of Gary from HR and Milwaukee, based out of New York City. Both Gary from HR and Milwaukee are heading to Toronto Sketch Fest this weekend with shows on Friday, March 13th, and Saturday, March 14th at the Theater Center. Both teams, both shows, both nights. They're leg- legitimately one and then the other in the same space, in the 8 o'clock block and the 10 o'clock block. Fred's first sketch is called Oreos where two customers try and decide who gets the last package of Oreos. Fred reads the role of Janet, I read the role of Gary, and I'll give you all the visual and active information you need to know. So let's go to that sketch. Interior grocery store aisle. Gary is looking at his grocery aisle, there's only one bag of Oreos left. He's Southern and very polite. Jenna is also looking at the Oreos. They both reach for it, laugh, and back away. She's also very polite. Oh, wow. It's the last bag of Oreos. Oh, I'm sorry. Were you going to take these? Oh, I was. These are for my kids.
2: I'm a teacher. The Oreos are their reward for doing well on a test. They
0: love Oreos. Oh, wow. Yeah. I do the same thing for my nephew. When he does good at his chemotherapy, it's like, hey buddy, it's Uncle Gary. Here's your Oreo for beating cancer, buddy. Oh, it's always a shame when kids are sad. Yeah, look at this picture here.
2: Wow, there's your nephew in a hospital bed surrounded by family,
0: oh my. School's kind of an amazing time though for a kid. Recess, naps, cookies. Well,
2: not my kids, Uh, you know, poverty federal tests big one coming up most most will pass but if the school drops below zero no school maybe no lunch just endless suffering some days it seems like you
0: know except you should take the oreos my nephew's tough he can handle not getting an oreo take it gary pushes the oreos towards janet
2: Oh, bless your heart. Cancer would be hard on any child. And I imagine those kids are running empty these days. My kids can power through any disappointment. Here, you take the Oreos.
0: Janet pushes the Oreos towards Gary. Oh, you so sweet thinking of them. But it's all right. My nieces and nephews can get through life without Oreos for a change. Your depressed, hopeless students need the Oreos to cheer them up. Gary pushes the Oreos more forcefully towards Janet.
2: Oh, bless your heart, but don't worry about my kids. They got grit. They are not a fragile cancer child whose only joy
0: is a cookie. Oh, you're so sweet. But clearly, a group of impoverished students with no hope in life needs these more.
2: Oh, bless your heart, but couldn't take Oreos away from your fragile little nephew on the verge of death.
0: You're so sweet. You should take, you give your starving children the Oreos.
2: (laughs) No, bless your heart. Give your glass-jawed crybaby the last bag of
0: Oreos. Janet tosses the Oreos at Gary. They smack him in the face. He's fuming. Gary and Janet toss the bag of Oreos at each other on each line. Take the Oreos, whore. Take the Oreos, rectal dildo. Take the Oreos, bitch.
2: Take the Oreos, kind of dick dancer.
0: They toss the bag back and forth at each other for a few tosses, getting more vigorous with each one. It's clearly almost destroyed. Before it, gets, before it finally hits the ground, just as a little old lady walks in. Oh, why, look at this.
2: A bag of Oreo crumbs. Oh, my cats love these things. Uh, please, take them.
0: It's my pleasure.
2: Oh, thank you. They aren't really for my cats. I, I just love Oreos.
0: The little lady shuffles away. I'm not really a teacher. I'm not really an uncle. Gary walks away. Janet thinks for a moment.
2: If you're not an uncle, why did you have a picture of a woman in a hospital bed surrounded by kids crying on your phone?
0: Blackout. Hey, Fred. Hey, what's up? So tell me about this Oreos idea. So I. I literally saw the opening of this
1: at the grocery store. It was just two people. There was one bag of Oreos left and they were just sort of having this little polite off about who was going to take the bag. Okay. It it ended much more amicably and it didn't last very long. It was like maybe 10, 15 seconds of that. Then finally one person snatched the bag and walked away. And then the one who's left behind went, well, okay, man. And he's just clearly, kind of <laughs> upset about it. I was like, well, "If you wanted the bag of Oreos, why didn't you just take them?" But yeah, yeah so. first
0: come, first come, first serve. Let's go. Exactly. Go it. Yes. Like it, it's all fine. Um, sure. So, uh, what? Why? What prompted you to write this? Like, did you were you taking a class? Yeah, I was taking
1: my first uh, sketch class. Uh, I took it at the Magnet Theater uh with Armando Diaz and so mm-hmm. we just we had to bring a, a sketch in for that first class and so I didn't have a lot of good tools for generating ideas other than like struggling in a coffee shop and so when uh, that happened I was just like okay I'm just gonna write that down and then i uh, just see if I can write this real quick sketch like out of it so
0: so I, I think I've talked to a couple other people that have ha- that have had Armando as like their first instructor in sketch comedy. And it's always, you bring a, a sketch to your first class.
1: Uh, in or at this, least,
0: at least I, in, you know, in your instance, that was. E-
1: yes. Like, I think I remember like we did, we brought like a sketch like to the first class is what my recollection is. But then uh, my memory is like a little uh, spotty, like every once in a while too. But mm-hmm. I think I remember at the least, like we had to bring in like some premises or something. It just okay. like, I just remember like that first sketch, like for that class that was like, you know, when that came up, I was like, I knew, okay, this is what I'm going to do.
0: So uh, why take a sketch comedy writing class?
1: It's a little bit of a long answer. I'll try to keep it short-ish. But the simple thing is, it's like a few years ago, I started working on these uh, puppet videos like for YouTube. Cause it's my end goal is making uh, content for children. So, you know, naturally I made a, For a sketch, it's got a bunch of uh, swear words in it that kids can't really hear. But anyway, (laughs) um, so I started, I, I, this is how arrogant I was. Like, I thought that the hardest part about making the videos was going to be making the puppets. I was like, oh, you know, but how to make a puppet? Like, that's, you know, it's kind of hard. It's like, I know how to write and I can just maybe just you know sketch out like some kind of idea and my idea of like sketching out an idea was like maybe like a beat outline or something like that or maybe theoretically improvise like something and uh, that turned out to be really wrong uh was a lot of work in learning how to make puppets but that was not the hardest part the hardest part was writing the sketches like just how do you write something super tight that has got a real simple idea to it that's not overly complicated to produce it's not uh It's a little bit taller order than I realized. And so I was, I'm I'm embarrassed about this, but I'm not so embarrassed that I'm not willing to talk about it. I was in my living room and I'd made like the 10th or 11th one of these videos. And I started to have an emotional breakdown in my living room. I was like, this is so hard. Making these puppet videos is so hard. And I felt myself about to spiral. And then I was like, okay, wait, 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 wait calm down. You're making puppet videos like for YouTube. There's no reason to crumble like this, like emotionally, just, just relax. And so it's like, I was like, okay, okay, okay. It's just puppet videos. Like, what do I need to do? And it was pretty clear at that point, like, okay, you just need to learn how to write shorter, tighter, faster stuff. And so um, that's, that got me to the, to that class, like essentially it was just trying to to that point, like where I could do that. And uh, I really was a toss up between the magnet and the UCB at that point. And it was the, when I went to go sign up that day, the magnet uh, had a class like available, like right then. And so then I signed up, although I also kind of found some software slash slash wrote some software. Cause at the time, like the UCB classes in New York basically like a class like a sketch one on one class would appear and then it would fill up like within yeah. minutes. And so I found some software uh and modified it a little bit you know, with a browser extension and I wrote some software to sign up for the U C B class for me too. So I ended up taking <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, you know, super bougie way to get in that class, but it worked. Um I felt bad though, because like the very first U C B class um everyone was telling their stories about the struggle that they had to get in the class. And it was my turn. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I wrote some software and then, you know, signed up for me. So it's nice to meet all you guys. But, um, I think I even did that bit voice too, cause I'm a weirdo, but anyway, so the, uh, so yeah, so it was the, I ended up taking classes at both, um, roughly at the same time, the UCB class, like I started uh, maybe about a month or so after I started the magnet class.
0: All right, there's so many things in that that I need to follow up on. Uh, <laughs> uh, puppet videos, yes. So, uh, so you want to get into kids pro- programming? Mm-hmm. So you just you decide to make puppet videos,
1: mm-hmm.
0: like for children?
1: Uh, yes, but also all ages. Yeah. Like, like I think all ages has kind of come to mean that an adult won't want to murder themselves like when they encounter the kids content right but what I have in mind is something more like you know like Warner Brothers cartoons or the Muppets like where you know it's it's it really is there's something there like for other folks it's like you're not just listening to it to tolerate it it's like it's something that they can find funny too so that's that's what I'm trying to aim for but then starting with stuff like for kids, that's a little more, not quite aged up, but just like that they can also understand too. I think probably the closest model that I can think of, which, and I'm about to say this, and this is, this is older content than I even realize, like sometimes when I think about it, but have you ever, have you ever seen like the website Homestar Runner? Yeah. That's kind of in my mind, like what I think about, like sometimes it's like that, that sort of uh, sense of humor and something silly but it's but the right kind of silly like where it's it's not the kind of silly like where you know an adult or even a teenager would you know necessarily like poo poo it or something
0: so yeah it, it's interesting because like you know i've got so i've got a bunch of like nieces and nephews so i've watched like children's programming over the last like 12 or 15 years or whatever or i mean i guess 20 something years since uh you know with them and like mm-hmm there's like it's weird like the at least to me when it's geared to younger i enjoy it more as an older person (laughs) as an adult but -hmm. when you start getting into that like tween teen era of like of what of what they think that audience is like i will watch arthur and like those kids programming on pbs Mm -hmm. infinitely faster And more happily than like Nickelodeon's sitcoms
1: yeah and I'm not even sure I mean I'm not trying to poo-poo tweens and younger teens and folks aging up into that 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 love those programs but uh, you know anecdotally like a lot of the you know folks that I run into in that age they don't they're not necessarily as into that stuff either per se there's maybe like a sweet spot like when like, a teenager's, like, trying to figure out, like, do I wear makeup, or, like, what kind of shoes, like, sh- are cool, and some of those kids, like, when you're at that age, in that moment, uh, glom to that, but yeah, it's, like, a lot of that stuff that, that skews younger is almost a little more universal, and in some ways, it, it almost, like, makes sense, because it's just, you're, you're you're almost, like, creating stuff that's the most relatable, I think, if you're doing it well, like, for for folks, like, at that age, like, if you you know kind of ride if you write like something that often that a kid thinks is is real funny then especially like at that age like there's a good chance that adults will too it's like do you ever see that old uh, school show uh kids in a hall
0: yeah absolutely
1: yeah that's it oh don't be afraid i'm crushing your head i mean that's every uh, kid like understands that but then yeah Absolutely. Teenagers too and adults.
0: So, okay. You bring up uh, kids in the hall. Like I always ask people like, what were, what's your earliest memory of comedy? Like what were you into growing up?
1: Some of the stuff I was into is like, I, I'm not really into too much like anymore. Uh, I think the very first three comedy memories that I have, they're almost like all, uh, right in a row, like with each other. Uh, it's like Bugs Bunny, the Muppets, and then Bill Cosby. Like we had a lot mm. of Bill Cosby records like at home. And yeah, I've tried to go back and listen to some of that now and it's like knowing what you know now, it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: It's, it's rough. It's, yeah. it's, it's rough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, like when you say the Muppets, do you mean like the movies or the Muppet show or
1: uh, the Muppet show? And, but also I had a, a videotape. I remember I got so excited about this. Like I, there was a documentary that was made about the making of the Muppet show and it showed like how they did the puppetry and all this stuff. And I remember I was like flipping through channels like as a kid and I saw that documentary and I realized like what I was watching and I got so excited that I took my copy of star Wars and I put tape over the tab in the, in the tape that, oh like... yeah. And I recorded over it so that I could grab like this copy of uh, this uh, Muppet documentary. I used to watch that thing like crazy, and then I I remember watching that thing too, and noticing like when the adults would laugh at things, and so that started to build some kind of muscle memory in my head of like, oh, that's what a grown up thinks is funny. I don't understand why that's funny, but maybe someday I will.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, I'm always like half jealous because I didn't have the Muppet Show. Like the Muppet Show wasn't a thing for me. Like as for me growing up. Like, I like between that whole side of it being syndicated out and then, you know, being released on, on VHS tapes and DVDs, like, there was a huge portion of my life I was like, I didn't know what the Muppet, like, that The Muppet Show was a thing. And I'm a little annoyed by that. I would have loved to have been introduced to The Muppet Show earlier than I was.
1: Yeah, it's like, I, I'm always curious about, like, patterns in media. And I don't know why there's not more shows trying to fill the niche that that show did because there was other shows at the time that were in that sort of vein like the like the old school carol burnett show was similar like in some ways like a whole you know a whole like a family could watch that together but it's so strange now it's like i'll say things like yeah i'm interested in making stuff that like a family could listen to and then i think what people hear when i say that is oh you you're trying to make stuff for tvn or like the hallmark channel it's like no like it's like this, this niche that I can remember, like, from, uh, that I still think is, there's value there, because I think it's like you said, you know, you, 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 you don't have, like, this, the like, something like the Muppets, like, when you're that age, but then you encounter it later, and you're like, oh, this is, a, this is great, or, you know, there's, there's still, like, there's still room for that kind of stuff, you know.
0: Yeah, that, that space for, like, those warm, fuzzy, like, family time, family viewing together kind of things, like, yeah, I I get I don't about like what net like I couldn't think of like what that would be today.
1: Yeah, it's I think that there's still room for it, but you know, there's it's like some things have gotten so hyper niche in a way that I I'm a big believer that the more niche like something is, like the more universal it is,
0: mm. but
1: there's there's also something to be said for but then if you get so specific sometimes you can get away from the universality uh in a way too and that's it, one of those things that sounds like a zen koan but it's like when you encounter it you know kind of like what's going on uh it's like i was thinking uh there's some shows that are close but not quite there a lot of them end up on cartoon network uh like yeah. adventure time that's a I think it, I'd say Adventure Time is like something a kid could enjoy, a teenager could, uh, if, they're, if their friends like don't make fun of them like for hanging on to like something that's from kidhood, there's all these other things that are going on with it that are interesting to them and certainly adults, but the adults that on to that show, they tend to be a little more, um, in my experience, like either parents or like someone who buys like a lot of vinyl records, not to typify people, so. But yeah. Be,
0: yeah yeah I, whatever i'm watching on tv or on hulu like i'm totally in that that space of hey you might like adventure time mm-hmm. and i you know i buy vinyl records so it totally yeah me too So, <laughs> <laughs> um i mean it's, the Mub show is in essence a variety show with you know comedy sketches what's your intru- what's your introduction to watching sketch comedy
1: oh wow I it was SNL Mm
0: -hmm. well
1: it was it was literally two things I think I saw them both like in the same day uh Richard Pryor used to have a show called Pryor's Place it only ran for like a season on CBS but I loved that show and then I remember seeking out like a bunch of Richard Pryor uh Comedy and being like, oh, I'm not supposed to listen to this, but like I listened to it anyway. It's just amazing. His character work is just like something else. And so his prior place uh, show was that character work that he did in his stand up, that he did in a bunch of television specials. But you know, he just kind of kept it in this space, like where you know a kid could could watch it, and a lot of it's like really beautiful. And then uh, I remember. You know, I would talk about comedy with like my 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 friends and some of them had mentioned, oh well, you know, the real stuff is you have to stay up late. I'm like, well, I can stay up late what is it? And then someone had mentioned Saturday Night Live. And so I remember watching Prior's Place and then watching S N L like that night too. And uh not understanding like half of what I was watching, but some of it was really still like really funny.
0: I had never heard of this prior's place before. And I, I just, you know, grabbed my phone to look it up, like, on Wikipedia, and I'm just like, holy crap, like, this was a thing. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm ancient, so it's like, I'm, I'm, like, a, I'm like an ant,
1: so it's like <laughs> I have, like, this memory of, of, the, of the world before, so, but yeah, it was, it's such a, it was, I'm always, like, bummed out about that show, because it was so well done, and I've never been able to find a reason, like, why it didn't continue was like, was it ratings? Was it he didn't want to do it? Or was it someone at the executive level said like, well, you know, we did that. We don't want to do anymore. But I just can't imagine. It's like even him like in that show, there's something that's always like stuck with me. And and even like when I go back and watch it, it's that, you know, if I say Richard Pryor and you say that like to comedians, they instantly, it's like the respect level goes to a hundred for the most part. Uh, when you talk about like his comedy. And it's, you think about, you you start to, I think some people would put him in the category of like uh, Lenny Bruce and George Carlin and a few others with like the material and the places that he's going. But I think at heart, I think that that show might've been closer to like, you know, like kind of what his heart was because it's, it's a beautiful show. Like it's very heartwarming, but it's also really funny too. And the, these characters that he does, like on it's like uh, there's some that are a little more for the show, but a lot of them are like your classic characters that he's done, but just in this other sort of context, like for people. So, having said all of that, I have no idea what's going on in the background. Maybe everyone was coked up. Like, and- it, it's <laughs> like,
0: and it's crazy because I'm I, like, I'm like, and this, this Prior's Place, because you mentioned Prior's Place, and I immediately think like a little earlier than it actually happened. Like, I was assuming that it happened in the 70s when he was doing like the variety shows, when he was working with Lily Tomlin and stuff like that. But like, no, this is mid eighties. Like, yeah. Like he had done a ton of movies. Like he was like, he was full on Richard Pryor when this happened. It's that's, I'm so curious. I'm going to like dive down the rabbit hole of the show.
1: (laughs) He's a uh, Lily Tomlin did an episode with him too. Mm -hmm. And that episode is kind of fascinating to watch because they do some characters and there's a lot of cutaways like with what they're doing. So if you kind of know like improv or, or any of this stuff, my takeaway like having like revisited some of this stuff, um, last like couple of years, like, especially it's like, I rewatched like, like that Lily Tomlin episode. It's pretty great because they're clearly, my guess is that when they were producing it, they must've improvised for who knows how long maybe like an hour plus, like it's these characters. And then they cut out and found like five minutes or so or 10 minutes like that they could use like in the in the episode. But it's really beautiful too. It's like, it's almost like kind of, that segment especially is almost, um, I don't want to say like indulgent because that implies the wrong thing. Um, it's just more like, it just looks like a couple of performers who are really at the top of their craft. They're, they're really just enjoying each other like just playing with each other like in this yeah. you know
0: and like um and you also mentioned how like you think of you know his stand-up and george carlin it's also like mind-boggling to me to look back and when i was growing up george carlin was on thomas the tank engine like <laughs> like he was one of the narrators and i was just like it was him and ringo star like like i think i forget which one was first but like one of them did the first couple of seasons and the other one did the, like and it was just like happening here? (laughs) I think I think I want
1: to say I'm going to be bold. I want to say I think it was Ringo. I think Ringo was first, and I think George Carlin uh, had to follow Ringo.
0: (laughs) It's still like very odd choices, like especially when you look back at it now. Well, you know, it's it's like there's a lot of like that stuff. Like some of the
1: I don't know. I think a lot of like a lot of the creators that I admire they crossed over like into some of like these places like quite a bit in, in real beautiful ways you know it's like uh, Steve Martin like especially like he crossed over like into that world like quite a bit especially like in mm-hmm. the 70s um, but even like into the 80s too like a lot of a lot of these folks like are ending up in similar sorts of places so it's like a lot of those a lot of those creators and comedians that I admire you know they, they're they real heartfelt yeah, I think that's the I think that that's the piece that you can sometimes miss, especially this for me like watching listening to Richard Pryor is that his shows are almost all hard. It's mm-hmm. just like you even even the quote unquote edgiest comedy that he's doing is literally like him like being incredibly uh transparent and honest, like about whatever's happening. You know, yeah. not to not to make a pun out of it but it's like he he has like a bit that he did about his heart attack yeah you know that's like it's super funny but it's also like wow that's just that's just that's as real as it gets like there's almost like no punchline like to that
0: yeah that that sense that uh brutal honesty and being genuine can transcend anything within comedy like
1: well, yeah. can I can I tell you about something kind of uh, yeah. strange that happened to me like this summer? So, uh, and I think I'm going to mispronounce her name and I shouldn't do this because she's like a famous person, but uh, um, Ali Shokat, like from uh, yeah. Arrested Development, she had a show that she did in Brooklyn at the BAM, uh, Brooklyn Academy of Music, and they do a lot of theatrical performances. She did this amazing endurance performance like where uh she she just replayed the same scene over and over again over a 24-hour period and she would take breaks i think it's like every four or six hours or something like that she'd take a like a 15 minute break she basically stayed up all night like doing uh the scene and i got to be one of the i think i I didn't get listed among the actors i think i got listed among like the amateurs who Mm -hmm. to go do like a scene like with her and everything and so I got to do this scene with her, like when she'd been up for about 15 hours, I think at this point, point. and the way that the script ran, was roughly a three-page script, and there were two places like to ad-lib, and so you come in, uh, you say hello, she says hello, and then she just asks you, you know, uh, how's your day been? And I remember I rehearsed like the scene, because I wanted to do a really good job, and I had this whole character worked out. And uh, I was going to be this like kind of mid 60s kind of madman kind of guy, like just real sort of, you know, middle aged jerk off like sort of person um, who's hopefully not who I am. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I'd had like this really crazy and stressful week, like this, like, and was having like a really crazy, stressful year because like there's all this mess with my parents as they're nearing the end of their life and just problems like with dementia that they're having and trying to think about getting them into a care facility and trying to sort that out like with my brother and you know who's gonna manage what and figuring all this stuff out. And then the week before uh, I was to do this, like I had to take like a quick trip. And then on the trip back to New York, it's like, I thought, our plane was going to crash. Like I had this just really crazy uh, layover in in Dallas. And then I got sat next to this sort of weird racist guy who kept screaming at the flight attendants. And he was super upset at this woman because the woman was complaining about her seat, like being too small. And the guy was just being, uh, he was being awful like about it. And that flight when we were coming into New York, it's like uh, the flight was into LaGuardia and LaGuardia is known for having like a lot of turbulence like, when you're coming in. And as the as the plane is like coming in, uh, the turbulence is so bad that the plane couldn't land. It actually had to pull like back up. And the moment that that happened, everyone got really quiet because it started to get scary in that moment because the plane kept shaking. And we we attempted a landing, like it took us the third approach, like before we actually landed. It was just like super upsetting, crazy, kind of intense, like week, because a lot of these things had happened like within uh, days of each other. And then I went to the BAM, like, like basically got in, went to sleep and then woke up the next morning. Cause like my set was at like six or seven in the morning or something like that and got there and, uh, ran into some friends who I didn't know we're doing the scene too and we had all this and stuff going on but then I went out to do that scene and then the moment that I walked out it's like I dropped the character I was going to play I just did it kind of as me instead mm-hmm. so I wasn't, wasn't doing a bit voice wasn't doing anything like I just walked out and I was confused and I walked out of the stage like confused and the audience like started laughing like at that point it's like okay so I walk over to her and the way the scene starts is you walk over to her uh, to her ear and you whisper your real name to her. And that's how she knows the scene's like starting at that point. And her line of dialogue after the pleasantries is, uh, so what are you thinking? And then what came out of my mouth was basically everything I just told you. I just was like, this has been the craziest week. Like I thought I was going to die before I got here. And then as I would say, like these different pieces, the audience took them as like punchlines. So it's like, you know, I said like, I I didn't think I was gonna make it. I didn't think I was gonna be here. Like this, the whole week has just been so crazy. It's like, there's plates like spinning everywhere and I I feel like I'm gonna drop them. I said something like that. And then the audience laughed and then she sat down and kind of looked at me. And then I just kept going. I was like, yeah, you know, I think my mom is in the, um, has just been put into a nursing home. The audience laughs. I say, you know, my dad, I think he's got dementia at this point. We might have to put him in the nursing home too. Audience laughs. I say like, yeah, the plane that we're on is like it's about to crash. Yeah, And this is happening over and over again. I'm just saying like the most honest things like I can, but then I guess filtered through my clown body or something. It's coming out funny. I don't know. <laughs> um, and so uh, we we get to the end of it. And then by the end of it, she I don't know if it was her character or her, because she's, you know, she's obviously a really great uh, performer, but she just sort of looked at me and she's just like, did all that really happen? And I went off script, on my line is supposed to be, uh, do you want a drink? But I just looked at her and I was like, yeah, it did. It's been a hell of a week, but it's real nice to see you. Like, you were the thing I was looking forward to the most, like all week, only happy thing. And then she looked at me and kind of blinked and said, like, uh, I think I'm going to get you a drink because she's used to the performers like sometimes like dropping a line so she knows how to pick the scene back up yeah so it was great like we i that's i think it's the first time i've ever like acted in a scene but like been like a character but the character's not really a character it's just sort of me saying these things that someone else wrote i don't know if that makes any sense but
0: Mm -hmm. yeah it does um since like we fast forward there for a a really cool performance opportunity. So let's talk, let's start with uh, how do we get from taking a class at the Magnet to Gary from HR? Wow.
1: Oh, uh, I took the sketch classes for this really utilitarian purpose. Like I thought, Oh, you know, I want to get, you know, I just need to learn how to some tools like for writing the short form stuff. So I can make my puppet videos, but I really liked the classes and I liked the just writing sketches themselves. It's just like, it was so much fun. And the people I was taking classes with like were real fun. And uh, I liked Armando a lot. I liked my UCB teachers a lot too. So I just pressed forward. I just decided that I just loved it so much. I wanted to keep taking classes and keep going. And so then when you get through with the classes, it's like at UCB, you can theoretically become, I think they call it like advanced study or something like that. That, that lets you take other sketch classes like as they show up um, mm-hmm. that are non-elective. Uh, they, At least in New York, like they don't happen all that often like anymore. So that's like kind of one way to keep writing sketches and being a writer's room and everything. But I liked it so much. I was like, I just want to keep going like at this. And so then I just kept writing and kept writing like more of the... Uh, kind of the sketch comedy that I've been writing with these folks now for a couple of years in different contexts. And then just started putting packets together and submitting them. And I had been going to a lot of theaters and I was a fan of a lot of the performers and the creators, like at the magnet specifically, just like, and I was spending like a lot of like my time there too. So then I submitted like my packets I think like it took me like three submissions before I got picked up like for a team and I was so stoked like when it happened too because the team that I ended up on was uh I was friends with just about everybody on the team too like I'd already known them uh, from you know classes and shows and just different things too and you know I was doing as many of these like uh, uh blind submission shows or anything that I could like in New York just to kind of keep you know, practicing my skills, you know, I started a writer's room, uh, which didn't last like very long because I think me and another person, like we literally both ended up on uh, kind of house mm-hmm. teams like pretty quickly. So it was like, well, you know, and so I guess like the other folks like had other ways like to kind of stick together and everything too. But yeah, but yeah so it's just, uh, you know, I, literally I think a year of like submitting and then, okay, and now this is the team that you're on. So uh, we lasted for, I think they had been together for about 6 months before I joined and then we lasted for uh, another year like at the Magnet and then eventually we got uh, we got cut like last summer. So
0: And that Gary from HR that got cut?
1: Yeah, uh the I think you know it's a different uh the team is like still together and they're they're performing uh Gary's going to perform at the Toronto Sketchfest. Uh, this year too and uh, it's really interesting it like like the shows are actually opposite like Milwaukee like from uh, from the magnet but yep Gary Gary got cut but you know folks still like each other and still try to perform and write together like whenever we can so I think a few folks you know wanted to take a break and so they they sort of got away from even doing like sketch for a little bit mm-hmm. but they've just started to come back like in the last like kind of couple months especially so
0: so tell me about gay from, from HR. Like what, what's the vibe of that show?
1: Oh, it is so funny. Um, I'm biased. Why I just said that it's like, what's your show like? Well, I think it's funny. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's a lot of anthropomorphization, a lot of to the heart, like kind of comedy, um, but to the heart doesn't necessarily just mean like heartfelt. It's sometimes, it's, it's, a lot of the stuff is like very satirical. So it'll really uh, get you thinking about stuff. It's like uh, uh, one of the writers, Jennifer, she's like, oh man, like her sketches. She, she really knows how to see like certain situations like in ways that you probably haven't thought of before. Uh, she's got this sketch about uh, an elderly couple describing their relationship. And I don't really want to spoil it. It's, uh, boy, like she gets to the heart of like certain things like about kindly grandparents that you never really sort of think about like in those contexts. Uh, she's got other ones that are like, um, like what, what is, how does she describe this? So she's got this one sort of sketch that could theoretically be a series called like Planet of the Beckys, which is just almost like a nature show about observing like uh, Becky's like uh, sort of like a certain type of like 20 uh, something uh, a woman like in the workplace who's got this certain kind of energy so it's like it's like Planet of the Becky's is like if you were like National Geographic and observing mm-hmm. like what that would look like um, so it's like that I think that those are kind of like the vibe of like a lot of the shows and but a lot of things like are really sometimes just like silly almost for the sake of being silly too but um, silly, for the sake of being funny, I should say it that way. But the uh, the other thing too is also, uh, you know, some of this, some a lot of the sketches are just comedy, just going for, like, just trying to do like the funniest thing possible. A lot of them will also get a little satirical about like what's going on uh, in media or uh, in society, like a bit too. So they're always like really fun. Like I remember the uh, at the magnet when you get to the uh, end of the season, they always do like a best of show. So it's like, you take your best sketches like from the season and you you turn it into one show. And I remember at the end of that second season, so it's like the second season was the first season I was on, but uh, the audience looked like they were going to eat everybody on Gary. It was great. Like just people were so excited, like about that show. Um, It's a lot of fun performance energy too. Also a good chance that the performers may decide to mess with each other like in a good way and and basically ad-lib on game at each other just to see, you know, can you roll with like this, this funny beat that probably makes the most sense in this moment.
0: Uh, so in the time that you're on Gareth from HR, how does the opportunity for Milwaukee come about?
1: Uh, well, the team uh, was cut and so the uh, sketch director, you know, kind of moved like some people around and There was an opening on Milwaukee so they just said hey you know here's a slot like for you like on uh, on the Milwaukee team you know so so it's just fun it's like uh it's like kind of some of my um weirder uh well from my perspective some of my my weirder um kind of ideas like kind of fit in like that team a bit too so
0: so there was never a point where they were that you were working on both of them like full-time concurrently
1: uh, no, there was a little bit of overlap with, um, some of the things that have kind of turned into, uh, the stuff that's going like to the Toronto sketch fest, although I'm actually not sure if any of my stuff from either team is actually going to go up at Toronto. I think hmm. one of my sketches like for Gary is like definitely going up, uh, thoughts and hmm. prayers. I think that's going up. I think, unless it changes in which case, you know, just if anybody's listening and they'd like to hear it, just call me up and I'll do the sketch.
0: For you <laughs> Uh, but did you notice that there was a difference in your writing style between the two teams? Uh,
1: yes and no. So the part that stayed the same was my, uh, this, like the way that I approached it, you know, I kinda, my approach is to just write as much stuff as I possibly can and try to write it fast, like to get the idea out and then see what's probably the most workable out of that. And then the filter that I try to use like when I'm on a team like that is the performers. Like, okay, well, what if, what if this performer is cast like in this role? Or what if they're in this sort of like space like right here too? Um, and then the other thing that I'll do is on the teams is uh, I try to really listen to the actor pitches like a lot. I try to make, make a point of like, okay, what's something that this actor thinks is funny and do I understand something about it and I'll pitch you know something back to that actor and you know try to craft like something there too so it's in their voice a little bit so that's probably the biggest difference is that the performers and their their styles like are very different like from each other so I think that's like where it kind of took my writing like in different directions but then the place like where it comes back to my weird stuff is like um, maybe the beats are unexpected or, or you know I take it in some direction that they didn't quite uh, probably didn't quite like imagine like when they were originally like doing like uh, the pitch that they did.
0: Uh, was oh, this is gonna sound a little weird? Maybe. Um, was Gary from HR designed to be an all person of color team? Uh,
1: I think so. I think that that was the idea, and at the time, there wasn't another team like that. And I think it's just in hindsight, as I'm thinking about it, I think that you know there was like you know i know that there's like for example uh in new york uh there's at least two like or no three like different all asian teams and i should know the name of all three of them but i'm blanking right now because i'm a
0: bad person uh, I, I know two, one's model majority model majority absolutely i believe it's overstep
1: uh, i've heard of overstep is yeah overstep is the other and i think that those folks used to be on one team but now they're two teams um there's uh a third one uh, uh, was it? We are not. I'm, I think the team's name is We are not your beebies, but that might have been the name of their show. But that's mm-hmm. like another all Asian team, but a little more uh, towards uh, uh, India, like a little bit. Like quite a few of the um, the folks like on that team or um, have a, a Indian or Pakistani background on that team. Uh, and there's uh, certainly a lot of uh, black teams like in New York too, but not a lot of just like we're going to uh, put like different people of color for lack of a better way to put it on, like onto like the same team. And so it was like the magnet, I think the director for that was, um, uh, Linnea Sanders. And I think that that was her idea. And so she was, she was the, I think the, the driving force like behind like that team, like as it was formed and, and sort of put together a lot of really funny people. And Lene's now the uh, sketch director at uh, the magnet too she is fantastic mm. i know she's real fun to work with and she's real uh she's real talented too it's like she was uh in the writer's uh, writer assistant for uh astronomy clubs sketch show the, that mm. sketch show is like amazing oh they're so funny i'm a kind of an astronomy club stand. um mm. the uh she's also on a, still uh, on a team called the natural girls uh which they perform like all over the place. Um, I think that they've done Toronto Sketch Fest in the past and they still perform like all over. They got like a weekly show at the Magnet too. Yeah. And you know, she's always like doing something. And she did before, Oh, before the sad, before the sad, like kind of unexpected implosion, like of college humor. I think that she also has like some videos like showing there too.
0: So um, did you notice a difference between the material of an all person of color comedy troupe versus Milwaukee, who has more, you know, white people, for lack of a better phrase. Uh,
1: Yeah, I, I think there is. There's uh, uh quite a bit of difference in some ways and no difference in other ways. The no difference is everyone is trying to do the same thing. They're just trying to write stuff that is um, as funny as they possibly can. Um, I think that this is my take, and other folks from Milwaukee like might disagree with this, and they wouldn't be wrong, because um, it's just my take. I think that Milwaukee tends to stay away from the political; like they're always like very much on, uh, like the, their stuff is always very it's it's always like very just uh, fun and silly and and beautiful and a lot of great character work, like especially. Yeah. And then, you know, occasionally it might veer like in another direction versus Gary where, yeah, you know, sometimes stuff does delve like towards more towards the sociopolitical. political. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's also not to say too, that the, that every Gary sketch like is, is like that. Um, I think my favorite Gary sketch is one that I wrote called, um, Uh, I love basketball, which is just, uh, it's about like a. A daughter who asks her mom can i borrow your basketball and it turns out that the mom is in love with the basketball so it's like there's nothing real political about that that's just a really dumb idea that might possibly have worked on bojack horseman I, I we
0: we skipped over earlier i ask everybody i'm always curious uh do you have a favorite snl cast member i mean you, we, we talked about like you discovering it pretty early on uh like, is there someone that sticks out in the history of SNL to you as your favorite? I've
1: dipped in and out of SNL like so much, like over the years. Um, I I know that in the present, like right now, it is it's Bo and Yang, but I'm also still, and I I mean this like is it hopefully as respectfully and beautifully like as possible, which is often like in New York the way that you know someone's about to crap all over something. But <laughs> I really, I, I don't mean it like this. It's like. I, I've seen Bowen Yang like perform like so much that I'm always hoping that like if I check out an, ep- ep- an episode of SNL, I'm like, are they gonna? Is he gonna find a way, or did somebody write something that's gonna let him hit those five gears that I know that this guy can hit because I've just seen him perform like so much that like maybe he the opportunity has not presented itself yet like on that show. It's kind of like um, if he like uh, Chris Farley like way back in the day. It's like everybody remembers him as this megastar from SNL, but, you know, very early in the show, he's not getting his, his sort of place in there. It was really like when he does this, uh, basically an ad lib pratfall, like in that Matt Foley sketch, like he jumps on that table. And the reason why everyone is so shocked when it happens is because none of them knew he was going to do it, but the sketch is killing already. And then he does this. And then that's the thing that, you know, he becomes like the, becomes the uh the performer and the character that that all of us remember in our pop culture memory but before then like he hadn't quite found like that moment so i'm not saying bow Yang should fall into a table i'm just saying that like i'm a big fan of like his stuff and can't wait for him to find his equivalent
0: of that yeah we're we're early enough in his run where he hasn't had that that one very distinct pop moment yeah that like where like everyone that's been aware of him for so long was were like oh there we go this is this is the Bowen that we're used to. This is where we're, what we've been waiting for.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. You know, it's like that, it's like that. Um, I was wondering like what it would have been like, like to see that Chris Farley sketch if you had seen him at Second City. Cause he'd done that character before. He did, he yeah. was, my understanding is Bob Odenkirk and him came up with like that, that character and all of that. But the synthesis of that performance in that particular sketch and even the beats in it were, unique especially that table bit at the end so that was like the synthesis of all that like for everybody
0: yeah like I, in in regards to that sketch that you're talking about i feel like there was an anecdote or like in something in the biography of him where he went to one of the prop guys and said like hey how much will it hurt if i go through this table and i <laughs> and i think they're like we'll pre-cut the legs to make sure it goes down like or something ah. like, like it, they did trick the, the table so that you know he didn't completely hurt himself wow well i don't i think the other cast members didn't know that that was going to happen so
1: (laughs) still learn something new every day that's like yeah
0: that yeah if you're gonna fall through a table trick it out like
1: (laughs) you know it's like that sketch has actually been on my mind lately because do you do you watch like much like weird youtube genre videos
0: not really no
1: there's like a whole, there's so many subsets, like of YouTube videos. There's a whole subset of people that, you know, they've got like a million plus subscribers. Like there's quite a few channels, which are people who have, they're, they're all called van life videos. It's like people who have said, like, I'm not going to have an apartment. I'm not going to have a house. I'm just going to live in a van and drive it around like everywhere. So it's literally like, YouTube folks who they're not doing comedy videos, but they all live in a van down by the river, and on some level, my brain goes, "It's that's like a that was like a punchline living in a van down by a river was a punchline from an SNL sketch from the '90s that's now like a lucrative (laughs) subgenre." And now
0: that we live in a world of tiny houses and like all that kind of stuff. (laughs) living in it like i i worked at a camp in my 20s and there was a dude that lived in his van that came and worked for a couple weeks like that you know he had worked there a couple summers prior but like he was like yeah i just live here in my van it was a sweet van i I, like not a lot of space but it it looked cool
1: it's like a lot of like the vans like they've got you know like full kitchens and half of the videos are like how did you fit a bed a closet do you need a toilet like all of like this kind of stuff in it I've watched enough of them and I know that on some level my brain is broken because I'm literally on, on some level it's like, I know I'm on a bit of a quest and the quest is I'll know I've watched my last one of these, the moment that one of these people is like, Hey, YouTubers, what's up? I'm in my van down by the river. What's going on? And I'll know, <laughs> I don't need to watch any more of these.
0: Uh, I Like for a while there, I was hate watching uh, extreme couponing things like, <laughs> like but like i had to stop because it was legitimately pissing me off like what, what you, you, you don't need this stuff like because <laughs> some of them do it like the hoard and like create like an entire like stockpile they actually use the word stockpile of toilet paper like to the point where you have to poop endlessly for years <laughs> to go through <laughs> that amount like it,
1: or ugh. like, or like, if you ha- if you end up with like two hundred tubes of toothpaste, yeah, uh, that, yeah, that, that's not, it's not, it's perishable. I think, it, it, I think at that point, that's it's a hoard, or possibly a Dwayne Reed. Like you're I just mean, stocking up to open your own like CVS in the in your basement.
0: Oh, I don't so much. It just feels so wasteful. (laughs) Um, And and there's always a part of me that I'm like, yeah, I could totally live in a van or in a tiny house by myself. And like a couple months ago, I tried this whole process of like getting rid of stuff and I got rid of way less than I thought I would. Like that Mary Condo does it spark joy thing. I was like, yeah, I do want this still. And (laughs) like, yeah. So I'm not quite there at the, the tiny house or living in a van down by the river. I mean, it's kind of practical to live by the river so why not yeah you know
1: it's nice you just have to make sure 100 yards like from the water source like at a minimum if you're going to poop in a hole make sure that you've done at least that but then also if you're a human and you're pooping in a hole you really shouldn't poop in the hole like in the first place you should take it out with you because (laughs) most of the wildlife around there will not be able to handle like your bacteria why do i know that it's because i grew up in the woods
0: (laughs) you grew up in the woods
1: I grew up in a really small town in Washington state. Um, oh, geez. The, po- the population there is, uh, it hasn't really changed much. I, it's a, basically it's like, it's a peninsula. That's the size of Manhattan Island, but the total population of that peninsula is about uh, 4,000 people. And in my hometown, there's multiple towns there too. So my particular hometown is like 900 people. So
0: and it's weird. Cause like in all my time growing up as a boy scout, like I feel like pooping in a hole was totally the right decision to make.
1: It, it it was until people started to realize like why are some of these animals getting these particular sicknesses. So
0: learn so something it, it's new. A,
1: it's a good decision, but it's like why well, you should truck it out if you if you if you poop it out, truck it out. That's not a real phrase, <laughs> but we'll make
0: it a phrase. <laughs> we'll, we'll get it started. We'll make buttons. <laughs> uh, so um, so yeah, so both Gary from HR and Milwaukee are heading up to Toronto sketch Fest, which is you know part of the reason that we're recording this. What can the viewers at Toronto Sketchfest expect from either of those shows? Uh,
1: they should expect uh, some real tight sets, a lot of high performance energy uh, and uh, just some of the, like the best comedy, like for, uh, that you can imagine. I know that Gary the sets are also actually going to be a little different too. So the two shows like will have uh, unique stuff. So it's actually worth it to go like to both shows. And for Milwaukee um, there's probably like a real similar kind of vibe. It's like the performances are often like enough like to um, I, I mean, that's like, it's so much fun like watching uh, Milwaukee like do a set because you can watch like this one sketch and then later see like the same sketch. Like I've, I've seen this multiple times, like where, they literally are theoretically performing the same version in their best of show that they performed earlier in the season, but it's still different because of the performance vibe. It's like so in the moment that the, uh, the performers like, really know how to connect. So both shows like a lot of um, real great character work and a lot of fun uh, choices, like from that perspective too. So, uh, and I know with Gary, um, you'll get that. And then also, uh, literally like both shows are, are going to be a little different from each other too.
0: So like, I get the sense that you focus more on the writing side than the performance side.
1: Uh, right now. Yes. Um, yeah. I will do, uh, on Gary, I would do, um, like, uh, bit parts or, uh, weirdos. Like I did like a lot of weirdos. Um, mm. cause my, it's like, if I get the chance, you know, if, if they're going to, if I get to be like a meter D or something, I know that one way to do the major D's choices is to say, hi, welcome to uh, the restaurant. Like, may I seat you? That's perfectly reasonable. But if I get the opportunity to, that's like where I might just decide like, okay, this guy is Andy Warhol's cousin. So what would he sound like? Hi, welcome to the restaurant. Uh, can I seat you? Did you want a table? So any chance I get to do that kind of thing, like I
0: always take it. <laughs> yeah. That, that idea, like there's no small roles, just play with what you have. Yeah. It's more, fun, uh, it's more fun that way. So um, as I, as we wrap up here, uh, I, I always ask, uh, you've been a part of two house teams at Magnet in New York, uh, done classes at both Magnet and UCB. What's a piece of advice that you would give to a new writer of sketch comedy?
1: Uh, you should write every day and write as much as you can. And the way to do that is that you separate your critical brain from your writer brain they're not the same thing they're part of the same thing but they're not the same thing so a lot of times like when you sit down to write at least me uh, before sketch comedy I would ruminate like on ideas like a lot and judge a lot of like what I'm doing before I would do it now I'll just do it and then do all the judgment after I've done it it's like write out the thing and then I can look at it and go well is there something here no no this is uh, soup on a stoop with snoop sounds good, but this just doesn't work. So as much as you can, you want to separate those two things and just get in the habit of like writing stuff first. Cause once you've got it written, that's where you can go in and really edit and um, make changes and things too.
0: Yeah. It's something that I am still absolutely terrible with, like of being you know, a writer for so long, I, I I still have that like mindset of like, like it it you know I'm trying to beat it out of myself of like, you know have a first draft a first draft's okay you can play with the first draft like I always want to present things finished and like edit as I go instead of like, bam let's get this in and and work on it later like, that's, ugh. it's ugh, like, I totally I, yeah,
1: well I'm I'm with you too it's like that's the thing I'm but it was it, it's the thing like that I'm real uh, it's just like, it's just so much, it's been so much fun being on these teams and learning to write and learning to write like fast too, because, you know, uh, it it's, it's just, it's been, I've been forcing myself to just work this other muscle of like, you know, write it out first and then, you know, come to the draft, like later. I, one, one way that I found, I don't know if this is, uh, helpful or annoying, but I'm going to hope that it's helpful. It's like uh, I've gotten in the habit of, the, the way that I got to this habit, like right now is like, I write roughly one sketch a day, like at minimum, sometimes like oh, more. Um And the way that I got there was, is that I got in the habit and I still do this. Um, I'll just write like a one pager, like not necessarily like a blackout, just like, just mm-hmm. literally like, you know, the way that I tend to pitch is like I'll still pitch like with my giant pitch spreadsheet weirdness and my notebook, but a lot of times the way I pitch is just like bring the first draft of like a sketch or the first page like of a sketch. It's the UCB, um, my UCB instructors like that's how they taught us like to do a lot of our pitches was just do it that way, mm-hmm. and so I've gotten in the habit now of just like just write those one pagers, and then usually if I'm picking up a sketch, like I go through the one pagers first, like, and then sometimes then what happened was is that then it got those things like developed enough that like, sometimes I could just sit down and blast out like a draft. The only sad part is, is that like, sometimes I'll go make all that material and then I'll look at it all and I'll go, Oh no, this is really very funny. That's eh, all right. Oh, well, maybe something bigger will come like tomorrow.
0: <laughs> mm. And then, uh, I mean, you had mentioned that you had, you enrolled in the, the magnet class uh, and the UCB classes as more as a utilitarian thing to get better at at writing these short pieces why after that like have you stuck to comedy why has comedy become that large portion of your creative life
1: oh wow the i fell in love with it i guess it's just so much fun and to also get to collaborate like with other people too, like even like those puppet videos is that's pretty much um, me like on my own, and it's it's strange like that way. It's almost like doing one prov or something, I guess. But the to get to create like this way, like you know, with a, like a bunch of folks, and you're collaborating, and it's real collaboration. Like my favorite thing is like where, um, if the idea of the sketch is like so clear, like to the performers or the character is so clear that they know they know how to take it like somewhere where I didn't expect either. That's always like pretty delightful too. So it's it's that it's that combination of just making something so joyful and fun and collaborative like with other people. That also too like if you've done it well, like at the end of that of that creative process, is gonna be an audience like full of people that just get to laugh. I mean that's great, you know, especially it's like you have like a you know you have a terrible day or something bums you out and then you go laugh with your friends or or laugh at like some you know wonderful weirdos like on a stage somewhere like that's nothing can cure like a bad day like quite like that you know
0: yeah sounds great thanks fred
1: thank you this is real great and thanks for having me on the podcast
0: Gary from HR and Milwaukee are both heading to Toronto Sketchfest this weekend, and both teams will be performing on Friday, March 13th and Saturday, March 14th at the Theatre Center. And it's scheduled nicely so that one team performs at the 8 o'clock block and then the other team performs in the 10 o'clock block. So go to one, grab a steam whistle or a county slider, and then go to the other, either night. Tickets are available at TOSketchfest.com, and if you're there, Buy Mark a market beer if he's hosting or if Andrea's in the booth, buy her white wine. You can follow Gary from HR and Milwaukee on Instagram at Gary from HR and Milwaukee Sketch Comedy, respectively. My First Sketch is a Philly Sketch Fest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com. Follow Philly Sketch Fest on Instagram at phillysketchfest. The music on this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like My First Sketch on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy.